going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter and stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. This might seem to be kind of an odd selection, uh, a text to deal with what churches across our country are addressing this morning, and that's Thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, when I shared this with Dawn for her to incorporate it into the easy worship software that we used, she emailed me and asked if I had sent her the right text. She said, and these are her words, at first glance, it doesn't seem that it goes with the sermon title. And she's absolutely right. It doesn't work real well when you think of it as somehow emphasizing thanksgiving. But what it does reveal is the tendency to focus more on what we don't have, <clears throat> don't have and fail to see and even employ what we do have. While it draws attention to the absence of material possessions, the text itself highlights the wealth found in Christ's sufficiency, what we have in him. Look at the text. Take note of what the disciples did not have. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. It begins by saying nothing for the journey. Empty-handed. Yet they had everything they needed to accomplish the work that the Lord had set before them. Look again at the text and see what they did have. He gave them power and authority. This commissioning of the twelve to go out and to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, with little to nothing in hand, was accomplished by the fact that they simply depended upon what Jesus had promised, power and authority. The Gospel of Matthew and Mark also record this account. And by reading from their accounts, all three accounts of this particular event, we get a sense of the success of their healing and preaching campaign, their ministry on the road. <laughs> Look specifically at March, uh, Mark, Mark 6, verses 30 through 31, and it reads, The apostles gathered around Jesus, and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a, have a chance to eat. 
And so he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I sense this as some kind of a carryover of what had been experienced by those who were approached by the disciples with this message of the coming of the kingdom and recognizing broken bodies being healed and made whole. And so obviously there would be a gathering of a crowd and, and, and possibly troubling them through the day as to let this ministry continue. Let us hear more of this good news. It can only be imagined as to what the conversations were like when they gathered around Jesus to report of the encounters that they had had with the infirmed and, and seeing for themselves the, the healing of, of, of a miraculous healing of those who were suffering and how they would have, would have responded to this message that God's kingdom is at hand. It's upon them. People that are weighed down with crippling diseases and suffering from a heavy hand of a, an oppressive foreign rule. People in some ways without hope. Rejoicing as the body is healed and rejoicing in the fact that hope has been restored. Thanksgiving for sure. But as you read through this particular portion of the Gospels, that those, those hours approaching what was soon to follow, we begin to recognize that the disciples once more begin to focus on what they don't have and forget once more what they do have. This retreat to enjoy some downtime is short-lived. And particularly if you read through all four Gospels, you kind of get the sense of how this is all unfolding. Jesus wants to get away with his disciples. They want time to recover. And remember those who were continually troubling them with their issues in life and not even giving them time to eat. This retreat that they're looking for comes to a dead halt as Jesus looks out and sees the multitude. And he has compassion on them. Not sure where the disciples are in all this thing about compassion. I'm sure they were looking for a chance to catch a breath. This, this is the setup for the account that I mentioned is recorded in all, recorded in all four Gospels, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. Um, what I need to do here, I think, is to kind of tell the story because I want to use bits and pieces from all four accounts because each one, as much as they are so similar, there are those little caveats that just kind of bring it to life as to how it all unfolded. And it's a great story. And if you ever read the, the account of feeding the 5,000, read it through all four Gospels as it's reported because it just kind of comes to life as you see how uh, it all comes together. So Jesus has compassion on them, and he sits down to teach them and to minister to them and care for them. And you wonder what the disciples are doing all this time, impatiently waiting for that time of rest. And, and finally, they come to him, we read, and it's late afternoon, 
And the twelve come to him. And it's interesting, it says, the twelve come to him. As if they had their little caucus and said, we got to bring this to an end. And so they come to Jesus and, he, and they say, as one voice, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding village and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. <laughs> you just let, let your imagination play with that a little bit as to what's maybe behind this conversation that they're having with Jesus. Let that sink in because the response that Jesus gives does what it would it shake their boots. You feed them. You give them something to eat. They answered, Well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go out and buy food for all this crowd. Now, according to the Gospel of John, Philip's back there working the numbers. And he, and he says to Jesus, eight months' wages would not be enough bread to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Also, in the Gospel of John, Andrew's working the crowd, and he finds this kid with five loaves and two fish, five barley loaves and two fish. And the barley loaf was usually the kind of bread that was eaten primarily by the poorest. <laughs> so, you know, the, the troops are trying to make the best they can out of the situation. And Jesus finally says, have them sit down in groups of about 50. And the disciples did what Jesus told them to do, organizing them in groups of 50. Now, you've got to also just imagine groups of 50 that's accommodating a group of 5,000 men plus women and children. That's quite a spread to prepare, don't you think? And then, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up into heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. <laughs> Taking the five loaves of two fish, five loaves and two fish, and looking up in heaven and giving thanks. Giving thanks. Not focusing on the little, but giving thanks for the much that was entrusted to on that particular occasion to work the miracle. And then he gave it to the disciples to set before the people, to give to the people. As the disciples were, were this, you know, bemoaning over the fact of what they don't have, not enough food to feed the crowd, not enough money to buy the food, even if it were available, not to mention it's late, and what about the rest that was promised? Jesus was giving thanks for all that they did have, five loaves and two fish, and power and authority. <laughs> and what they did have proved to be sufficient, even more than what was sufficient. There were leftovers. As it was entrusted to Christ, the need was met, and there was even much more to be shared. 
Giving thanks was only a part of this lesson for the disciples that afternoon. He gave thanks. And then what did he do? He gave it to his disciples. For what reason? To give it to the people. Of simply meaning that what Jesus had, he entrusted to his disciples. They received it as it being from him, instructed them to give it to others. What is entrusted to us by God himself isn't ours to possess, but to literally share it with others. This, uh, this past week, Jan and I were at the Avon Christian Village for board meetings. And one of the things, the, of the things that the village does, they hold a banquet for th- those who contribute to the village and, and making gifts uh, for the benevolent fund, for capital funds, uh, all kinds of uh, expressions of appreciation for the ministry of the village. And, and Raleigh Chambers, the chairman of the uh, uh, board, addressed the, those attending the banquet, and he told this story. There was a young couple that uh, was visiting a, a, a part of the town that they, they really uh, were kind of out of their element. It was just a little bit above what they were used to. And they walked into an ice cream shop. And they sat down at the table and began to collect what they had between them and had $4. And they laid it on the table. And about that time, the waiter came up and then asked uh, what they would like. And they said... Um, Oh, we'd like a cup of ice cream. How much would that cost? And he said, $4. And they said, well, do you have something maybe in a smaller portion, like a children's size? He said, yes, we do. We can do that. Well, how much would that cost? $3. Well, we'll take that, they said. And they sat there together, enjoying each other and enjoying their ice cream. And after they had finished enjoying the ice cream, they left the, the store. And the waiter came to clear the table. And there, were, there was $3, and then there was $1. $3 to pay for the ice cream, and $1 to express their thanks, their gratitude for the service that was rendered. It wasn't theirs to keep it all for themselves, all the ice cream for four bucks, but looking for a way to share a portion of what they had with others. That's what this is all about. Thanksgiving is giving. We express our thanks through our giving. Giving from what we have, what has been entrusted to us. It is recognizing that what we have is to be employed in in sharing, but also to be employed in serving others and honoring the one who gave it. I want you to just think for a minute with me, how do you go about demonstrating your, 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 your gratitude if someone makes, makes a gift to you, gives you a gift? I was thinking about that this morning, and, and I don't want Jan to get her hopes up, but if I were to give her a really nice necklace this Christmas, I wonder what she would do with it. I'm certain that she would not put it in her jewelry box and save it for herself. I'm I'm certain that she would wear that necklace first to let other people appreciate its beauty, uh, how it it just uh, seems to add to uh, just the fullness of of all that that is available to enjoy. 
But I think she would also be wearing it as an expression of her thanks for a husband who was so thoughtful to give her such a nice gift. But it's an expression of thanksgiving to, to use something that's been given to you, to find how you're going to incorporate that in, in sharing it with others. I, I can remember as a kid, uh, second or third grade, um, we had an art class, and we, we were instructed to make a gift for someone that we wanted to uh, share uh, a gift with. And I thought of my dad. I was going to make something for my dad. And they gave us this lump of clay, and we were supposed to do something with it. And I, I took that clay, and I shaped it in the most beautiful, deformed cone you have ever seen in your life. And I punched thumbprints in the side of it, and then I, I threw gold paint on it, and yellow paint, and green paint, and black paint, and red paint, with no pattern whatsoever. It was the most hideous thing as I look back on it now. And then I had to think, what is it? Because it was supposed to be a gift from my dad. A paperweight. That's what it is. It's a paperweight. And I took it and I gave it to my dad at Christmas. And it delighted me as a boy to come into his office and see this deformed cone sitting there on top of a pile of papers. But you know what even made it more special? As an adult, a young, a young man to come into his office and see that hideous thing still sitting there on, on the corner of his desk. There was no value to it except it was a gift. And dad was sharing it with others. I don't, maybe he was trying to say his, his son's a lousy artist. I don't know what he was trying to say. But he was expressing his appreciation for that gift through all these years. There's a, there's a passage in the Gospel of Luke about somebody else who gave. And, and it, in some ways, it, it poses a question for us. It's, it's Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. It's a story about the widow and her two copper coins. I'll read it to you. Jesus is now in the temple with his disciples. And uh, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. We are to be grateful for what we have. Everything that we have, we, we should be grateful. And at the same time, we must remember that everything that we have has come from God. It's been entrusted to us to appreciate, to use, and to share. It's to be used in service to him. It's to be, it's to be surrendered and, and held loosely in hand so that it can be given when asked of us to give. It is to be a free gift to accomplish God's purposes and specifically to honor him. Giving out of what God has given us is a way of honoring the giver, God himself. Our giving is an expression of our gratitude for what we do have. 
I came across a, a quote, and, and it was just simply tagged of the author unknown. But I kept it for myself because I think it does characterize how we are supposed to live. With a heart of gratitude. And the quote was simply this. To live is simply, I'm sorry, to be thankful is simply thanks living. Living with a heart that is full of gratitude for what we have received. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, we certainly won't read the whole chapter this morning, but it, it's, a, it's a chapter in the life of the church in Corinth. And how it unfolds is that at one time, there was the recognized need of what was happening in Jerusalem. As there is heavy persecution, as there is a famine, all these terrible things are happening in the mother church in Jerusalem. And in Corinth and other churches throughout Asia, get this, Gentile congregations, mindful of the need of the mother church, where the apostles were still seated and serving. So Corinth kind of set the tone. They want to take up a collection and send it back to the mother church. And other churches heard the rally, uh, the cry to, just to come together and find ways to, to, again, help the mother church. And Paul has to remind them the importance of this gift. And, and beginning uh, with verse 10, uh, Paul writes, Now he who supplies seed, meaning God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I like this passage of Scripture, but what troubles me so often that these particular verses are taken out of context and used as fodder false truth in the uh, gospel of prosperity, uh, preaching prosperity gospel. You give and more will be given to you. It is a fact that what you sow, you will reap. But it isn't, uh, you know, you give and I'll give back. It's, it's, it's recognizing, again, the generosity of God that he, he will show us as we are generous to those around us. It's, it's an expression to alert people to the reasons to be thankful, and particularly to the God who gives. We read on. This service, meaning this giving, that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, it's meeting a need, but also is overflowing, listen to this, in many expressions of thanks to God. It's pointing to God. It's pointing to the Lord, who is the one who is giving. And you are simply sharing the blessing that you have received from him. Paul goes on. Because of the service by which you have proven yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers, the Jewish, believer, the Jewish Christian believers, praying now for the Gentile churches, for their prayers, for your, you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. That's, that's the return. God's giving grace to them. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. 
Paul is pointing to the people in Corinth. All the giving is great. All of it comes from God. You're sharing what God gives you. And as you think of all the things that you have seen, that all you have received from God, don't forget the indescribable gift, Christ himself. You see, God is the one who takes the initiative in giving. He is the first giver. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him in him should have he is giving everlasting life to those who believe in the gift of his son Jesus Christ who came to this world to live among us to die for us to be resurrected and promised to us life everlasting it troubles me to sometimes uh, reflect on what's happening within the churches today. There seems to really be truly a lack of appreciation, of gratitude, of thanksgiving. It seems like so often we want to come to the Lord with our list of needs, which probably more parallel our wants. We seem to forget what we already have and what's been entrusted to us as his church as to be the body of Christ, meaning that as his church, we do have authority and we do have power in the name of Jesus. We are to show, we are to be communicating how grateful we are by sharing what we have received from the Lord himself. The good news, sharing the good news, sharing the promise of life eternal in Christ Jesus, sharing that as God has promised never to leave us or forsake us in our greatest time of need, sharing with the fact that everything that is ours comes to us by the generosity of God himself. So we come to this place. We are not to focus on what we don't have, but to remember what we do have. Let's not compare ourselves to other churches who have the big choir or who have the, the magnificent plant who, or, or, or have one day after another activities uh, going on or, or, or overflowing uh, treasuries to do whatever they want to do. Don't focus on what we don't have. Focus on what we do have. As the, as the body of Christ, as members within the body of Christ, we have been promised the very thing that Jesus promised the disciples. In Jesus' name, power and authority. Jesus will equip this church, has equipped this church with everything we need to do its ministry. And so let's just be mindful of what we do have in Christ himself. Your bulletin has this place of making notes, and I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want you to, in those sections, you've got two sections. You can pick right or left. I, you know, you've got a choice here. But write down what you do have, what has been given to you, what you have received as blessings from God himself, what you count as, as something that you treasure and you desire to, to just enjoy as, as he has been so generous to you. And then as you make out that list, on the other side, of the, or divide the page in half, then list what are you going to do to demonstrate your gratefulness by employing that gift? 
How are you going to, how are you going to demonstrate your gratefulness for your family? Maybe by opening your home and, and having someone sit at your table or, or just to come in for a visit and, and, and have a little chat. How, how are you going to be, express your gratitude for uh, the security that you have with, with the job that you're working? Maybe by somehow expressing your appreciation to your employer. Thanks, I got a job. And, and serving him well and doing the best you can as that employee. Be mindful of what you have and then give thought as to how you're going to use that gift to first honor the Lord and then to be of service to others, to be pointing to the one who has given everything that you need. To just wrap it up, I just simply say this. We can't focus on what we don't have. We need to take an inventory on what we do have. And our life should be tagged as one that is thanks living. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for what we have in the body of Christ, this church. Thank you for what we have in the fellowship of believers. Thank you for what we have in your word that, that keeps us on course, convicts us of the need of change and repentance in our lives. Thank you for what we have as the promises that have come from you, those that we have seen fulfilled, and the ones yet to be accomplished. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.